Home and Garden Radio Podcast, number 17. This is the one where we talk about summer stuff. Home and Garden Radio Podcast is the recorded version of our live show that airs Saturday mornings on the BizTalk Radio Network. And welcome to this edition of Home and Garden Radio. My name is Michael Brooks. you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. And welcome to this edition of Home and Garden Radio. That's who I am, and this is what we're doing. I hope you're having a great, you know, a great weekend Saturday. Yeah, this show's only heard on Saturday, unless, of course... You're listening to the podcast version of this show, and then it is heard uh, equally as well. Anytime you want to hear it, just, you know, just whenever you feel like listening to it, you can hear it. So here we are, middle of summer, dog days of summer, man. You know, the last part of July. How did that happen? What is going on? I I, got to tell you, we're getting a lot of rain where I live. Things are growing like crazy. And it, it it the bugs are everywhere. I'm I'm out mowing my yard, and it's so hot. I live in West Central Florida, and it is extremely hot. I spent last weekend um, down in Palm Beach, helping my turtle dove move. My turtle dove moved from one location to 2.7 miles away from where she was living. She had a mover, but we had to do all the other stuff, and that was intently, intently hard work i mean i we, we were just exhausted by the end of the day every day it was down there thursday friday saturday and sunday and i drove back on sunday and it was just oh how nice it was to sit in the nice air-conditioned car and drive home one of the things i noticed about our new place are you know one of the things that we have in florida that people up north don't have is we have these little lizards that run around and I live in West Central Florida, and we've got little lizards. They're just little tiny lizards. There's different varieties of them, but they're all around. People move down here from Pennsylvania, and they see these things, and they go, ah! well, you know what? Uh, I was down at her new place, and they have lizards there. Now, where she lived before, I never noticed them. It was only 2.7 miles away from this place. But down at the new place, their lizards are real big. You know, if my son Jamie was down there and he saw those lizards, he'd be trying to catch them to take them home to make his pets. I mean, they are big lizards. I mean, they're bigger than your hand. I, and they're just, you know, crawling around outside, hanging out. You know, I, they're just everywhere. And I said, you got big lizards down there. She goes, yeah, don't we? I said, man, this, this is just incredible. And they also have a lot of vegetation down there that we don't have in this part of Florida. You know, we have all of these different zones throughout the country, but Florida is very unique and that Florida itself has three zones. It has North Florida, Central Florida, and South Florida as far as vegetation is concerned. And you start moving into South Florida as soon as you get a little bit south of where I live. I live in in the Tampa Bay area. You go down south into Sarasota, it's a different world down there. And then the further south you go, it gets even more intense. Coconut palms, for instance, do not grow where I live in West Central Florida, but they grow, they start growing well just south of Sarasota, down in Venice. 
down in, in Palm Beach. They grow wonderful. I used to own some property on a place called Pine Island, which is on the lower uh, west coast of Florida. And, uh, you know, the coconut palms live down there. I just, oh, beautiful. Cabbage palms, everything, you know, lives beautifully down there compared to where I live now. So it is a ever so slightly different world. And while it was hot over in Palm Beach, the temperatures were in the 90s, in the high 90s, as a matter of fact, uh, 92 degrees there is not near as bad as 92 degrees here because we live on the west coast of Florida over here, west central Florida, and we have the Gulf of Mexico. Well, down in Palm Beach, they have the Atlantic Ocean, and that breeze just constantly comes through. And even though it's 92 degrees and it's hot, the breeze really helps. It's a totally different 92 degrees than it is here, and the plants reflect that as well which I found to be very, very interesting. Now, as far as the pest in the grass down there compared to what we have, they're pretty much the same, but down there, the way they attack grass is different than the way they attack grass here. For instance, up here, chinch bugs attack grass next to sidewalks or driveways, next to concrete all the time. Down there, they attack, they attack next to concrete but near, not nearly as much. They're more towards the center of the grass, which I found to be quite fascinating. So you really have to change the way you're observing insect behavior in South Florida compared to West Central Florida. And if you're living in, in Wisconsin right now, I'm boring you to tears and I apologize, but I guess it would make sense for you as well because different states are going to have different zones. I know that Southern Michigan is a different zone than Northern Michigan. As far as, you know, when you can start planting in the spring or how long plants will last as we get into the fall. Uh, it, it is There are differences, you know, subtle, but differences nonetheless that happen there. So it's just one of those amazing things that goes on. And it's just something that we deal with. Uh, and, you, you know, if you're really get, I, I remember years ago. I was on a station in Alaska, and when that station came through, I said, how do they garden in Alaska? I was asking my program director. I said, you know, I start this week on a station in Alaska. I said, number one, I'm probably not going to get any calls from there because who gardens in Alaska? I mean, it's you know, they have a, a growing season of about 11 minutes and 37 seconds. You would be surprised at the ferocious gardeners that there are in Alaska. My phone lines from Alaska lit up every week. I would get questions. People would mail me, because this was before there was an internet. People would mail me pictures of their garden in the grow boxes that they built to keep the season going longer and the heat controls that they did so that they could grow vegetables longer there. It was rather amazing to me. The gardeners in Alaska were ferocious and Believe it or not, they had zones in Alaska. Anchorage was different, for instance, than areas north of there. And, uh, you know, the closer to the water, the warmer the temperatures would be. Uh, and it was just it was just fascinating. And here's the other interesting thing. The farther inland in the summer, the warmer the temperatures would be, which was weird. Warmer temperatures in the winter, closer to the ocean colder or warmer temperatures inland in the summertime compared to the ocean. So all of those things had to be kept in mind for our, my 
what I called my ferocious gardeners of Alaska. And I made some very, very good friends while we were on at that station. And we did very well until the station decided that they were going country. And I used to get letters after they stopped carrying all of the talk radio that they were carrying. I still got letters for a long time from my gardeners in Alaska. And it was fascinating to see how well things out there work. So no matter where you live, there's going to be differences. My friend Donnie in Gadsden, Alabama, which is northern Alabama, grows palm trees up there, which are, is next to impossible, but he does it. But, you know, he knows where to plant close to a building to protect those palms. And he works very, very hard at doing that sort of thing. So as long as, as he's ready to do that and is ready to, to make that work, it seems to work for him and life goes on, you know, as it, as it happens. So I'm very, very pleased with all of that. Anyway... Uh, the website, I have to, I must apologize for the website. I have not caught up on the website lately, and I need to do that. This weekend, I will work on the website. I've got a bunch of stuff to slap up there, stuff that I was going to slap up there that I just haven't had the time to do, and I apologize for that. Um, to tell you the truth, the heat is getting to me, traveling to Palm Beach a lot, and I've traveled to Palm Beach an awful lot in the last two months. Uh, two and a half, three months. I've been going down there a lot. It has taken away a lot of time working up here during the week, doing the radio show. I've just been a, a little bit overwhelmed, but I'm getting control of this now. I'm not going back to Palm Beach for at least a month, at least maybe longer. I just need to get some things done up here, need to get them th some things settled down up here. Although I love going to Palm Beach. You know what they have in Palm Beach that they don't have here and they probably don't have where you live? It's called Bud's chicken bud's fried chicken best fried chicken i have ever had it's right next to a kentucky fried a kfc they don't call kentucky fried chicken kentucky fried chicken anymore and you notice that they don't call churches fried chicken churches fried chicken anymore kentucky fried chicken is now kfc and churches is now churches okay instead of churches fried chicken well bud's is bud's fried chicken they make no, you know, we're Bud's Fried Chicken, and this is who we are. And they have something down there called a Quickie. And we had that for dinner as I was helping Debbie move. Uh, it's like $5.95. You get two pieces white meat, a bunch of crinkle-cut French fries, and, and hush puppies. And you can't eat it all. It is so big. It's so enormous for the, for the price. It's just outrageous. Hey, that's going to wrap things up for this segment. We're going to come back a little bit, and we're going to talk about turf grass again because that's where the emails are coming from. Home and Garden Radio continues right here on your favorite radio station. You can contact Michael at homeandgardenradio.com. That's homeandgardenradio.com. And now, back to your home and garden guru, Michael Cross. And yes, now back to me, Michael Cross. I got an interesting, very interesting email this week from someone who was, I don't know, I think they were mad at me about lawn care. Uh, because I said, I, I made the statement, and this was brought up again yesterday when I went to visit a lady in her yard in Palm Harbor, Florida. And I used to be, let, let me just state that I used to be in the business of uh, 
spraying and, and fertilizing lawns. Was in that business for, a, oh, many, many, many years. And, you know, we did great fertilization. We did great insect control. We did great broadleaf weed control, grassy weed control, all in, you know, one of the most difficult places to grow grass around, and that would be Florida. I've, you know, we had a lot of challenges. I also worked in, in different parts of the country through radio. And when I would travel around to do live remotes, I made it a point to visit lawn care companies in every state that I went to. And I went to a lot of states and I, I did a lot of traveling, especially in the 80s and 90s. And I actually worked with, with people up there, did a lot of, of work. And, you know, I, I know an awful lot about it. I can grow a good lawn. But I got out of the business mm, nine years ago, 10 years ago. I, I got out of the business. I sold all my customers to my buddy, Ralph, who's been on the show before. He later sold them to, um, you know, another very large national company. But I got out of the lawn end of the of the business uh, in the spring into the business some time ago, and I miss it. I, I I have to tell you I miss it in one aspect, but in another aspect I do not miss it. Uh, the regulations that have popped into that business since I left have become intolerable. Mostly the fertilizer regulations have become intolerable. But well. Difficult, but not intolerable. Let's put it that way, but extremely difficult and a lot of challenges. And I, I remember uh, a couple weeks ago talking about a guy down in Bradenton who I found him on the internet. Well, I did a little research. I called the guy, asked him to come on the show and he will not call me back for whatever reason. He has not called me back. But I talked with a friend of mine down there who is very familiar with him. And they, he said, he's got the fertilizer thing down pat. He's using an organic, mostly organic fertilizer on the lawns down there and it seems to be working well and in the summertime he is 100 percent organic so he is not affected by the fertilizer ordinances down there and i have been told and i have not gone down to look but i've been told by a good friend of mine who's down that way that his lawns all look nice as far as is fertilizer goes but insect matter he does not do insect control this is what, you know, it, it is not pointed out on his website that he does not do insect control. He tells you to go hire somebody or do your own insect control. And there, I, and I got into a conversation yesterday in Palm Harbor when I was out looking at some property and looking at, you know, helping a lady out. And I was, she had chinch bugs in her yard and I was advising her she needs to hire somebody to get rid of her chinch bugs. And, you know, that is a challenge right now. And she said, well, I want to do it organically. I said, well, you can't. And she goes, what do you mean you can't? And, and this is what the people that emailed me, you know, when I was talking about this a few weeks ago, they're all like angry at me because I say you cannot there. I have yet to find an organic solution to most heavy duty lawn problems, lawn insects. Okay. I have hunting bill bugs. I've yet to find an organic solution for them. Chinch bugs. I have yet to find an organic solution for them. Uh, the majority of white grubs, I have yet to find an organic solution. The Japanese beetle version of white grubs, yes, there is organic solutions for that, but not the. But that's a very small part of the white grub population. Mole crickets, which are 
attacking lawns all over the southern United States, from Tennessee south all the way to California, not only attacking lawns, but attacking nursery plants, you know, just really attacking nursery plants. No organic solution uh, to the mole crickets. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of the products that we use, and this was a discussion I got in with this lady who wanted me to go organic. And I said, you know, there's nothing that works. And she said, well, what about the chemicals that are out there? Now, and the chemicals that are out there really don't work. So she made the statement, well, we ought to bring back Durzban and Diazinon. Well, those are products that are a lot more toxic than the products that are on the market today. And those products were taken off the market, not by the government, by the way. The government did not take the organophosphates off the market. The manufacturers of the organophosphate insecticides, your Durzban, your Diazinons, your Orthes, all of these, the, the, for lawns, all of these manufacturers took those products off the market, not the government. Because there was research done on the long-term effects and the airborne effects of some of these uh, organophosphates, and the research wasn't very nice. And I think that, the, in my opinion is, the manufacturers decided, you know what, this isn't good, and we're just going to bow out of this. And they did. They, they didn't want the government involved. They just decided, okay, we're backing out of this, and they left. And those products were extremely effective in controlling many of these insects. But because of, in my humble opinion, what the manufacturers deemed to be safety situations from research that was done, uh, research that never really found its way to the public eye, but I, through connections that I have, was privy to some of it. Not all of it, but privy to some of it. And what I saw was very, you know, it wasn't good. It just really wasn't good. So I highly support all of those products being off the market. And I congratulate and I'm very proud of the pesticide manufacturers who did not know, okay, did not know of what was going on until this research was done. And they just backed out of the market. They just totally backed out of the market. So what we're left with now is a pyrethroid class of insecticides, which really does not work well. And the pyrethroid class of insecticides is being heavily attacked right now uh, for its, its exterior use. And there are a lot of restrictions being put on many of the pyrethroid uh, insecticides for use outdoors, which leaves us to the neonicotinoids. And if you are a listener of this show, you know that the environmentalists are jumping up and down and flopping out, you know, like a fish out of water about neonicotinoids. Uh, and I don't terribly disagree with most of that. You know, the neonicotinoids work on some insects, some social insects, but not all insects. And so, you know, there's, there's right now being in the lawn care business, especially in the South where there's a lot of insects is not an easy thing to do. And I admire my friends who are doing this kind of work right now. And I feel very, very bad for you as the owner of a lawn who is attempting to do this yourself because the, the challenges are there. And a lot of stuff doesn't work as well as they, they were. And the fact that I have yet to find an organic that does work, well, I tell you what, more on that when we come back. 
right here on Home and Garden Radio on your favorite radio station on this, the Biz Talk Radio Network. Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. Continuing here on Home and Garden Radio, um, very the, the lady that I went to see yesterday, more problems with summer with her. She had gone out and purchased, oh, about three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, she had gone out and had purchased 25, I counted them, there were 25 ligustrums. It's a hedge. It's a, it's a hedge that she bought in three-gallon containers. That was not cheap. She paid, she paid, you know, she bought 23 of these things, and she paid $16 and something a piece for them on sale. Uh, and the reason they were on sale is because it's the middle of summer and this is not the time to be buying a shrub to, you know, transplant into the ground. And But she bought 23 of them and she also bought a variety of a, something that is a tropical plant, which I have in my front yard called a plumeria. And they come in sticks and you stick them into the ground and they take root and grow. I had one in my front yard. As a matter of fact, I think I published well, on the Facebook. Maybe I did. Not on, not so much on the website. Uh, but I published a picture of mine uh, on Facebook here just recently. I should probably stick one, a picture I took just yesterday uh, of mine in the front yard. I should probably stick that on the website for you. But all of her plumerias were brown and like next to dead. And her ligustrums, now the plumerias she got for free. Somebody gave them to her and she bought the, you know, took those and stuck them all in the ground. And most of them are, are you know, next to dead. I don't think they're going to survive. I honestly don't think any of them are, are going to survive. But again, only thing she had there is the work that she put into it. On the other hand, the ligustrums that she spent a lot of money for because she wanted a privacy hedge on this one piece of her pro side of her property to filter out her next door neighbors which her next door neighbors she has a single family home and her next door neighbor is a condominium and she just didn't want to look at condominiums anymore i mean they've been there for years but for whatever reason she wanted to put this line of shrubs which would have been a marvelous idea for her to do in the fall or for that matter in the spring but not in the first week of july last week of june first week of july when it's 90 some degrees outside and so she planted all of these things. And by the way, when she planted them, she did plant them correctly, following the common sense use, you know, way that we plant shrubs, that we transplant out of pots and into the ground. She made a, what my buddy Stan DeFridis calls a, uh, a $10 hole for her $2 plant is essentially, you know, which is a, you know, exaggeration. But what you know she did is she made a nice size hole in the ground and then added peat and manure and all of these things to make it better as they say to enhance the possibility you know the probability of these plants growing now one of the things she did not use was a root stimulator such as super thrive or one of the many others that are on there 
And I'm going to tell you all of her legustrums look terrible, and many of them are not going to survive. And that was why I was called out, was to give her advice. And the advice I gave her was to uh, go get Super Thrive and drench the soil and the foliage with Super Thrive, one cap full in a gallon of water, and just go. And she had a backpack sprayer, a, a four-gallon backpack sprayer. So I said, four capfuls in your backpack sprayer and uh, fill it up with water and just drench these plants. And I would, you know, put it on all of the plants. I would use four gallons, a total of four gallons on all of those plants. And that may help. But the, the key here is, you know, so many of us think that or not, you know, a lot of people think that summer, with all of the growth that is happening, is a wonderful time to plant plants when it is absolutely the worst time to plant. Well, uh, next to dead of winter and you're in Michigan, okay? But it is the summer in the heat when we have high temperatures, even if you are in Michigan, where it gets up into the hundreds. The summer is not, a, you know, the time to plant plants. And here is why. Number one, the plants are already in stress because of the heat. And they're doing a lot of growing. And the growing that they're doing is that the plant is trying to grow up as opposed to the roots developing. And we want those roots to develop on these plants. We really want those roots to develop. And that's just not going to happen with all the stress that is happening in the summertime. Plus, we've got the insects, plus the possibility of disease, plus the fertilizer that you are not allowed to use in the summertime. And if you do use it in the summertime, if you're allowed to use it, you have the possibility of burning the tips of the roots and everything else because of the heat. So this is not the time of year. And this lady has an incredible investment in a lot of these plants that, you know, she is trying to save. So my solution for her was that. And now the, the question that comes about, is there a way to plant plants in the summertime? Yes. Uh, in addition to making the holes, like I say, you know, $10 holes for $2 plants, as they say, you know, putting the peat in the ground putting a little bit of very slow-release fertilizer, such as Osmocote, um, putting manure in there, uh, things like that. I would also make sure that I drench the soil and the roots of the plants with a product like Super Thrive or Ortho Root Stimulator, one of those products. There's a green light has a root stimulator that is also quite nice. It has vitamin B to it and some hormones. And I would highly suggest that you use something like that if you're going to plant in the summer. But the best idea for you is not to plant in the summertime. I was talking to a landscaper, a lady landscaper that I met this week. Very bright woman. Very, very, very bright woman. Well, her business since the recession hit in 2007, 2008, went down from 30 employees down to where she has three employees right now. I knew her back when she was really hopping. Well, now building is happening and her business is starting to pick up. So she's having to do landscape installations right now in the summertime. And I asked her, I said, what are you doing? She said, well, you know what I'm doing. She says, I'm making really good holes and I don't plant anything without Super Thrive. She, and, she, and, boy, and by the way, I am not financially connected to Super Thrive. I wish I was. Um, I'm a, a purchaser. I think I've gotten one bottle of Super Thrive free in all of the years that I've used Super Thrive. And, um, but I purchase it and, and, is, and I'm a big advocate. So here's a commercial landscaper whose business is just now coming back because building 
is just now returning. And she uses it on sod installations. She uses it on shrub tree installations in the summertime. But like she said, ideally, the summer is not the time to do this. But in, a, you know, in the, the case of landscapers or if you build a new house, you, what are you going to do? You got you to plant something. So you've got to be able to take you know, the precautions and do it correctly. I, I know a guy who does a podcast just finished building his house. They did the landscaping. I hope that the professionals that did Cliff's house knew how to install these plants in the summertime. And most professionals do, by the way. Most homeowners do not. This is why your nurseries, your Home Depots and, and your Lowe's and all of your local nurseries really don't emphasize a lot of plants. They all have them there. But now is a good time to get prices on, you know, to, to buy plants. But now is not a good time to plant plants. It truly isn't a good time to plant plants. And, um, you know, it, but if you have to, I highly suggest that in addition to doing all of the prep work and using a lot of water, a lot of water, if you plant something now, you've got to make sure you water those plants plants in the morning and in the afternoons in the heat of the day you need to get water into the ground on those plants for a minimum of seven days i really like 10 to 14 days every day twice a day watering right now and using a good root stimulator to get those roots established in the ground and i was involved when i was teaching with a lot of research on the effectiveness of root stimulators and i can tell you the little bit of money that you spend on any of the root stimula uh, stimulators, the ortho, the green light, the super thrive, any of them out there, the little bit of money that you spend on those, they're, they're not expensive. They are truly not expensive. Uh, the little bit of money that you spend on those is well worth it. Well, well, well worth it. So I, if you go on the website and you look back at my buddy, mad dog, who uh, was experimenting on, uh, some of these products and he mixed super thrive on some plants you can watch the videos you see the difference in the super thrive plants immediately compared to uh the ones that uh you know didn't get it and let me tell you also when a tree come crashing down on march on my plumeria that is out in the front yard and destroyed it i mean just literally destroyed that plumeria crushed it it was a big plant it was you know it was seven feet tall and it, it, you know, crushed it and I cut it down to the stump about six inches off the ground and I left it alone. The only thing I did to that plant, the only thing I did to see if it would come back was I watered it and I added a capful of Super Thrive because that's what I had. And I tell you what, I'll tell you what happened when we return. Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. And as we continue, I will say once again, the Super Thrive is going to be your answer uh, to planting now. It just truly is going to be your answer to planting right now. It is what I would highly advise that you use uh, and just go from there. Another bunch of emails and also 
the, what I've run into right now are bees. And bees are our friends for the most part. Everybody loves bees. And, you know, there was a lot of controversy about the bee population crashing. Uh, now the bee population seems to be coming back. There were questions whether the neonicotinoid insecticides that were widely being used and are widely being used was the problem. Many of those have, are coming off the market in agriculture. Uh, many of them are not. Uh, but still, we are seeing a revitalization of the bee population uh, to the point where bees are becoming a pest. And this is, I was out the other day looking at that very situation where a lady had bees that were coming out of the soffit of her house. And, uh, you know, how do I get rid of those bees? And what I always do in a situation that is where I live, I recommend a company over in Tampa. And it's a, owned by an entomologist, a very smart young man, very, very, very smart young man. And he is, in my mind, the foremost expert in bee removal. And they do both removal and eradication. And in a situation like this, they called this company and they came out and looked at it. And they said, you know, and, and by the way, this guy is a big time environmentalist. But he said removal in a situation like this is going to be impossible and the bees are getting dangerous to where they're actually coming into the house in different locations. And it was time for them to eradicate this bee nest. And he has he uses different pesticide, chemical pesticides, and also pyrethium, which is a natural insecticide, to attack that situation. And he goes about it very vigorously. I don't know how he does it. He will not allow me or anyone else to be around while he is doing it because he has proprietary ways of getting rid of the bees. But I was there and saw the bees and then I was back after he had done his job, the day after he had done his job and all of the bees were dead. And there was a carpenter there that was tearing into the soffit and removing the soffit to remove the honeycombs. Because if you don't remove those honeycombs, mold develops, rats come in, all kinds of stuff. Plus, you know, all of that soffit had to be replaced anyway, which is it had dry rot, which is opened it up, which allowed the bees to go in there and nest. So do it yourself. Bee removal is something that I do not advise. There are a lot of people, a lot more people now than in the past who have some very severe allergies to bees, very severe. And for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is. That seems to be getting worse. I'm hearing more about it. Are you? I mean, I'm hearing more about people that have allergies to being bit. My ex-wife, if she gets bit by a bee, she carries with her, um, I forget, not Benadryl, but the, the next one up. I forget what it's called, but she always has it with her. If she gets bit by an ant, she has to swallow this. If she got, if she got stung by a bee, she would have to go to the hospital. And she would probably have to get, you know, shot with an EpiPen or something. She probably should be carrying one of those with her. But she carries, and I forget what the drug is, but it's a little bit, the one that is more powerful than Benadryl. She has a prescription for it. And she carries that with her wherever she goes uh, because she's extremely sensitive to it. Uh, a gentleman that I know, his name is Jack, and I've known Jack for 40 some odd years. He was owned a pest control company. He's retired now. But back in the 70s, when he owned his pest control business, 
a very, very big pest control company. He was terribly allergic to bees, and he could not go out on bee jobs because if he got stung by a bee and he wasn't right near a hospital, the chances of him living were not very big. I mean, he would just, you know, from what I understand, he was bitten by a bee once before I knew him, and they rushed him to a hospital, and they were just able to save his life, just able to save his life. So one of the things that I've noticed, and I've talked to experts about this, another expert that I also recommend is, and a guy who I've had on the show before, is a gentleman by the name of Dusty Showers. And Dusty tells me that the bees invading homes and setting up nests in homes, it's an extremely dangerous situation. And if you can get a beekeeper to remove them, and it used to be in the old days, you'd call a beekeeper and they were just as happy as they could be to come out. They wouldn't charge you. They almost wanted to give you money to come get those things and take them back to their colonies to add to their colonies. But now they, they don't. And a lot of them will not do the removal. You have to hire experts and it's very expensive or you have to hire an expert for eradication. But that is something that you should not do yourself. I'm just telling you, it's very dangerous. And what really makes me mad, as I remember uh, last year, remember the TV show, Billy the Exterminator? Uh, You would see him on his TV show, and he's spraying pyrethiums all over the bees. He's getting up there, and he's getting stung like crazy. And I hated the fact that he was doing this on television because it made people think that bee stings we're not a bad, you know, bad thing. I'm going to tell you something. If I get stung by a bee, I don't go into anaphylactic shock or anything. But it hurts. I mean, it hurts bad. It, it hurts real, real, real bad. I last, uh, last summer, I was riding in a friend's convertible, and I had my hand on the outside as we were driving. It was in the spring. We were driving through a neighborhood, and uh, we're out looking at plants, and a bee hit my arm and stung my arm. I'm going to tell you something. That hurt. And I was in pain for a long time. We had to stop at a 7-Eleven and I I bought Benadryl at the 7-Eleven. And I took that, but I also took three Advils just to calm down the the sting. I mean, it it was just that bad. So do it yourself. Bee removal is nothing. And I'm out there doing this stuff all the time. I would not attempt to do it myself. I don't want you to attempt to do it yourself. And for whatever reason, even though we've just gone through a process of bee populations reducing, bee populations are popping back. And some of the bee populations are not popping back where we want them to pop back. So perhaps sometime we should talk about that and some of the things we can do around the house to prevent them from coming into the house. But we're out of time right now. We will see you next week, everybody. Homeingardenradio.com. Bye-bye.